I'm going to start reading in uh, actually Romans 7, starting in verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am very thankful to God for this passage. Uh, it's special to me personally. I was 22 years old at the time. I was working in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was pretty clueless about Christianity. I had made one foolish decision after another, and I thought to myself, I need to change. And on some level, I wanted to stop doing the evil I was doing and start doing what's right. And at that time, my mother had been praying for me for many years, happened to send me CDs. Those are those little circle uh, things with a circle in the middle that play audio. She sent me CDs on Romans. And I thought to myself, well, why not? Why not have a listen? And when I reached Romans 7 and heard it taught, I thought to myself, I've never heard anything so true about myself in my life. Paul's words in verse 18 were undeniably true. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. See, I wanted to change, but I was not changing. In fact, I was getting worse, and I learned that I was unable to change. Do you know something of that experience, that dynamic? Unable to change, at least not consistently. Well, Romans 7, this passage explains why. It's, of course, because of sin. See, sin's grip on us is so tight that we cannot consistently obey God's law. And even as a fairly like know-nothing 22-year-old, the Lord helped me to see that. But what I didn't realize back then as a fresh convert is that this is actually true for the Christian. See, after trusting Jesus for forgiveness and to rule my life, I thought, well, great, new life in Christ. And it is great. But I thought, 
no more struggle. Everything's going to be great now. And how wrong I was, how naive I was. See, sin is so powerful in the believer's body that we cannot consistently obey God's law. And that's what uh, this passage is saying. Now, I'm aware, as many of you are, that there's this great debate in Christian scholarship. Is Paul speaking about himself as a Christian or as an unbeliever? And there are thoughtful, well-respected Bible teachers on both sides. And we could spend the whole sermon this morning detailing the arguments for each side. But I'm not going to do that. You'll be pleased to know. I think it'd be much more beneficial if I just teach the text, get out of the way of the text, and by God's grace, we'll hear his voice this morning. I've already put my cards on the table. I do think Paul is speaking as a Christian, and I'm going to teach it like that. Now, as I do... Let me remind all of us, myself included, that the authority in God's church, whether it's this church or any other, is scripture itself, not the preacher. And so please, by all means, as you do each week, I'm sure, measure what I'm saying against scripture. This passage, it's, uh, if you look at chapter 7 as a whole, what's going on is Paul is clarifying potential misunderstandings that his Jewish listeners may have about the law and the gospel. And you can see quite clearly in verse 12, he has just affirmed that the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, it is good, it is holy. So sin is the problem, not the law of Moses. And in verse 13, he anticipates another objection. Did that which is good, he's talking about the law, did that which is good, the law, bring death to me? No way, he says. That would be a bit like a criminal on death row blaming the good law that he's broken for the punishment he's about to face. Sin is the problem, not the good law. Now, from verse 14 onward, which is going to be our focus, Paul's focus is on sin's power. See, ever since Adam rebelled, we are sold under sin. That's the human condition, all of us. And it still impacts us as Christians, okay? So let's look at this under two headings. Uh, First, the Christian's conflict, and that'll be the longer point. And then secondly, the Christian's confidence. So first, verses 14 to 24, the Christian's conflict. Just let's focus, just be, uh, let's be clear on what this conflict is. There's this inner conflict that he experiences as a believer. And notice the conflict is between his inner desire to do good. He wants to do good and the evil he actually does. And this conflict runs right the way through Paul's description of his Christian experience, and it's so agonizing to Paul that he ends this section crying out in frustration, verse 24, ugh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, why do I think Paul confesses this as a believer? Well, let's just think about it. Uh, most unbelievers I meet, most unbelievers you meet, they tend to say I'm a pretty good person. A wretch, a wretched person like this? No, that's not me, that's someone else. But if we have any doubt that Paul is describing his experience as a Christian, verse 22, the beginning of it, should settle the case for us. It should take all that doubt away. Because notice what Paul says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He delights in God's law. That's the language of like the psalmist in Psalm 119. He's a believer. Only a believer would feel that way. Inwardly, I want to obey the Lord. Deep down, I want to please him. 
In fact, I experience my greatest joy when I'm obeying him. See, inward, inwardly as Christians, think about it. We have a new attitude to Jesus, a new love for God's law, new desires, new affections, a new direction. Our attitude to sin is very different than before we trusted Jesus. But there's a problem. My sinful body. When he uses the word members in this uh, chapter, he's just talking about his body parts. So think of it like this. Imagine being chained to a stubborn mule. And you want to move forward, and the stubborn mule pulls you in the opposite direction, and you're incredibly frustrated. That's how Paul feels a bit. It's as if his inner person is chained up to a stubborn mule, except the mule is his own sinful body. And he's, in fact, so frustrated by his body that sins and therefore will die that he cries out, wretched man that I am. And notice it's I am in the present. Now, someone might be thinking as they hear this, you know, I don't know, Paul. Um, Aren't you being a bit extreme? Are you really that bad? Well, let's join Paul as he uh, shares his journey to self-discovery, verses 14 to 24. And notice he first observes his actions. He looks at what he actually does. Christianity is not pie in the sky. It's very practical. It's down to earth. And he sees something weird, which is that his actions reveal that he is a walking contradiction. He's divided between what he wants to do, the good, and what he actually does in practice evil. And you can see that, for example, in verse 15, I do not do the good I want to but I do the very thing I hate. Now, it's not that Paul never obeys the Lord. In fact, if we read about Paul's missionary journeys, the whole direction of his life was shaped by the gospel. But there is a gap between how he wants to live and how he actually lives. And isn't that your experience as a believer? Or am I the only one? You want to be Ask yourself if this is you. You want to be a more patient spouse or a parent, a more obedient child, a kinder friend, more self-controlled. You tell yourself, I don't ever want to lose my temper again or look at that thing again or say that word again. But what do we actually do in practice? Well, often the very things we hate. We've all been there. This is a passage that it's kind of intuitive. We need to get out of the way of it. Now, why do we act like that? Well, verse 17, because of sin that dwells within me. The other day, I was walking down Putnam Avenue in Greenwich, and an older couple was doing some window shopping. They looked in the store window. They saw a very strange house decoration. If you happen to have this house decoration, you should probably see Pastor Danny after the service. It was a black snake on the floor. And the husband looked at his wife and said, who would put this thing in their house? And of course, he's right. I mean, who would put a symbol of evil in their house? And I walked a bit longer, and I thought to myself, wait a second. Forget the house. That serpent nature, sin, dwells in me, in my body, which explains why, as a Christian, I do the very things I hate as a Christian. See, even if you're here this morning, you wouldn't say, you'd say, I'm not a Christian. You probably resonate with something of what Paul's saying. Everyone, actually. Christian and unbeliever fails to live up to the standards that we want to live by. 
That's why there's always a market for self-help books. That's why Taylor Swift sings, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, haven't you experienced that you fail to live up to your own standards, let alone God's perfect standards? And Paul tells us why it's sin. Now I'm looking around and I think I recognize most of you because I've been here before and you're believers but maybe someone here is not yet convinced that Jesus is king and savior. You haven't put your trust in him. If you're not yet convinced of Paul's answer to why we, are, why we act the way we do, may I gently ask you, do you have a better explanation for why universally we do things that on some level we don't want to do? See, maybe Christianity is not so crazy. As a 22-year-old, the reason I couldn't dismiss Christianity, I wasn't religious at all. The reason I couldn't dismiss Christianity is because it explains reality. I said, I heard that and I thought, yes, that is exactly right. That is what I'm like. And for the first time, I understand why it's sin. Now, as Christians, we know this. We know why we're a walking contradiction. But I wonder if we realize how strong sin's grip on us is. Well, in verses 18 to 20, Paul takes it a step further. He kind of turns up the heat, and he reflects on what his actions reveal about his fallen human nature. Notice how he steps it up. It's not just that I do not do the good I desire. He says something stronger. He says, I can't. I'm unable to. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. But look at this language, it's very strong, not the ability to carry it out. I can't, I can't change, not left to myself. Paul says I cannot do the good I want. And I know we hate hearing that. It kind of cuts against the can-do American spirit, I can do whatever I put my mind to. But no, this is the truth. We really can't. While we're in this body of death, we cannot measure up to Christ's perfect standard. The truth is that there is no health in us, as one prayer of confession puts it. And we may not like it, but again, isn't it true? Aren't there things about us that we wish we could just flip a switch and change forever? Bad habits we wish we could break from forever. Isn't it true that we want to be like Jesus, kinder, gentler, more patient, less selfish, less irritable, but we cannot reach that goal. We fall short every day. And we find that verse 19 is true of us. The evil I do not do, want to do is what I keep on doing. See, how ingrained is indwelling sin in us? Well, you notice the language in verse 21. Paul concludes that it is a law. And in verse 21, he uses law in the way we use it when we speak of the law of gravity, for example. So think of the law of gravity. It is not, of course, a set of rules to be, should I try it and jump up? It is not a set of rules to be followed. It's just a scientific principle, a rule that is always true. Well, Paul, who has a PhD in human nature, says he's discovered the law of sin. What's this principle, this universal principle? It's right there, he says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Always, it's always the case. 
Didn't you experience that this morning? Trying to get to church, perhaps. Isn't it a battle? Why is it a battle to get to church? At least if you have three small kids like I do. I know why that's a battle, but there's something in us that, that goes against what we want to do. Sin. And Paul says the law of sin is as constant as the law of gravity, which is why, you know, what does it feel like to be a Christian? If you had to tell a an unbelieving friend, this is what it feels like to be a Christian. You might say, it feels like a civil war is going on inside of me. You're committed to the right side of the war. Jesus has won the war. He's won the battle. But that old rebel power indwelling sin in our body parts is not giving up without a fight. You see that in verse 23? Christian life is warfare, isn't it? I mean, what Christian hasn't experienced Sin rising up, attempting to drag us back into captivity. Or maybe it's a sin that we thought, I'd put that to death, and it's back with more force, it seems, than ever before. And if we're not grounded in Romans 7, we could easily fall into despair. This is a daily battle. It is a lifelong battle. Our sin nature does not vanish the moment we first trust Jesus to forgive us and rule us. We are inwardly new, but we remain in the sinful body of death. As Christians, we're still made of flesh, which means we're weak, fleshy humans who still share Adam's fallen nature and will our whole earthly lives. So if you come across books, blogs, whatever, offering secrets to living the Christian life on a higher plane, promising a breakthrough, a total release from sin's power. Let me do you a favor. Save your money. Give it to this church, not that. Stick with the apostle Paul, his words. What would happen if we cut Romans 7 out of the Bible? What What would we miss out on? I think the answer is that we would end up in despair as Christians. J.I. Packer, many of you have probably read uh, Knowing God, a book he wrote. He was a wonderful Christian scholar. He trusted Jesus for the first time while studying at Oxford. And after he became a Christian, some unsound teachers told him, you know, uh, they probably didn't use that sort of language of British, uh, uh, but you know, you, you need a second experience after becoming a Christian. And when you have that second blessing, then you will not struggle with sin the way you're currently struggling. And Packer, to his credit, was just honest with himself. He couldn't pretend. He was still sinning every day in thought, word, and deed. No matter how many times he reconsecrated himself or rededicated himself, he still battled against sin. And later on, as he reflected on this time in his life, he said, you know, I could have easily become suicidal until he read the writings of two pastors, John Owen and J.C. Ryle, basically explaining Romans 7 talking about the Bible's realism about indwelling sin. Isn't it encouraging? It's funny, this passage is kind of negative. I find it really encouraging. Isn't it encouraging to hear someone talking realistically about their genuine Christian experience? Especially older believers who've been in the battle for a long time. I can think of one friend, an older pastor, he's like a breath of fresh air. He talks like a Christian. In other words, he's not gloomy and down. He's quite joyful, but he's not pretending. 
yes, I'm in a body of death, so I'm going to sin. Of course, I should repent and will repent and confess my sins as we do each Sunday. But there's no phoniness. He's not complacent. He's realistic. We need this realism. Because you know what can happen in a room like this. We look around. Everyone looks so nice. You do. And you look around and you think, wow, everyone here seems to have it all together. Maybe I'm the only one who's struggling with sin. Could happen. You're in good company, though. The Apostle Paul and all of us in the same struggle. Dear Christian, you and I will never be as Christ-like as we long to be, not in this life. Uh, Perfect Christian life is impossible. The more, actually, that we're confronted with God's good and holy law, the more we read of Jesus' perfect life, the more we'll confess with Paul, wretched person that I am, not just used to be, that I still am. And we'll say with him, I cannot wait to be delivered from this body of death. See, Christian perfectionism, that teaching, the way we should respond to that is, you know that little smiley face with the teardrops coming out of its eyes because it's laughing? That's our response to Christian perfectionism. It's laughable. Now, please don't mishear Paul. He's not complacent about sin. Okay, He hates it. And that's actually why he's so frustrated by his actions. And if we're in Christ, we'll resonate with his cry, Who will deliver me from this body of death? How I long for a sinless resurrection body. It's a cry of frustration. It's a cry of groaning. It is not, though, a cry of despair. Because notice, secondly, the Christian's confidence. And this point will be be much shorter. Paul is confident. He knows. He is sure that he will be delivered from this body of sin and death that he will be resurrected from the dead. He will be given a resurrection body like Jesus' body, a body that can never sin again. Now, why is he so confident? We know why it's not. It's not by looking inside. That will get us nowhere. Paul's confidence is not at all in himself, but in the God who raises the dead, in the God who raised his son Jesus from the dead. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know we here share Paul's confidence not in ourselves, not in our performance in the Christian life, but in Jesus Christ alone. We know that none of our sins, even the ones that we're most ashamed of, that come haunting us from time to time, none of those will be counted against us, not one. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, bore the full penalty that we deserve for all our sins, all of them. We know that Jesus lived a perfect life and that in God's sight, his perfect life counts for us who believe in him. That's why in Romans 8, the beginning of it, he says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because Paul is sure he's been forgiven, counted righteous, he is also sure that when Jesus returns, he will deliver us, all who believe, from this body that sins and dies. Now, perhaps someone here, you you don't really yet share Paul's confidence in Christ. It's possible someone here is realizing, you know, I'm a failure. 
I failed my family. I failed those I love most. And most of all, I failed God. And it's kind of dawning on you, actually, I can't escape sin's grip. You need to hear what every one of us needs to hear this morning, that Jesus Christ is able and willing to forgive you the moment you put your confidence in him. And for us who do believe, keep trusting in him, not ourselves. For us who share Paul's confidence in Christ, know that a day is coming when the battle will be over. That'll help us to keep battling, to trust him. A day is coming when we will be delivered from this body of sin and death. But until that day, the battle rages on. Until we die or Jesus returns, verse 25 is our present experience. It's conflict. It's battle. It's very interesting. It's funny kind of. Uh, uh, Verse 24, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Excuse me, beginning of verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Great victory verse. It is. But then he goes right back to, look, the light, it's going to be a battle as a Christian. It's a bit of an anticlimax. So do not be discouraged that you fail and I fail to live the Christian life we long to live. That will always be the case. Don't despair. Don't be surprised when you fail. It is humbling. It is agonizing to to long to do good and do the very thing we hate. But in a sense, it is good for us to learn this because it teaches us to keep trusting Jesus alone, not ourselves, until one day we see him face to face and we never sin again. Let me close with a reflection on John Newton, the cruel slave trader who turned gracious pastor. He wrote the words, of course, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if we know ourselves, we'll actually sing those words with more gusto, with greater conviction, the longer we've been a Christian. Wretched person, not that I was, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that our standing before you does not at all depend on ourselves, but on Jesus Christ and him alone. We praise him for living the perfect life that we have failed to live. We praise him for his death on the cross in our place for our sins. We praise him, the one who has risen from the dead and who gives us life. Help us this new week to fix our eyes on him, to keep battling, to keep confessing our sins, to keep trusting Jesus one day at a time until we see him face to face. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.